Hello and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Demetrius Theodorakis, Vice President of Research at Human Security. Before his leadership positions at Human, Demetrius was a manager at both Microsoft and Google. In this episode, Demetrius talks about the nuances of bot detection, threat models, malvertising, and much more. So please enjoy this interview between Demetrius Theodorakis and your host, Steve Hamm. Do you want to learn how the Snowflake Data Cloud can take your company and your career to new frontiers? From August 3rd to October 30th, the Data Cloud World Tour is making 26 stops around the globe to share how to use and collaborate with data in unimaginable ways. Hear from fellow data, tech, and business leaders, and get the latest on generative AI and innovations at Snowflake at an event near you. Learn more and register at snowflake.com slash data dash cloud dash world dash tour. Demetrius, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. There are a lot of cybersecurity firms in the world. And your firm has a lot of interesting attributes, including its name. So what makes human special? Knowing who's real is fundamental to the integrity of the internet and really to every company. We use our online banking accounts because we trust it's safe to do so. And advertisers support the internet by spending billions of dollars in online advertising because they expect to get a positive return on their investment. The internet would be a very different place if we couldn't tell apart humans from robots. My understanding is, so basically you monitor behavior and look for patterns, patterns that would either indicate that it's actually a human being doing it or, or instructing it, or it's a bot of some kind. Is that is that at the core activity that your group does? Uh, well, at Human, we have a, a, a number of different products. But if we talk about our bot detection, core bot detection technology, that's a, in a nutshell a, a good way of describing it. Whenever an interaction and transaction occurs, we are collecting signals at different layers, at the network level, at the device level, at the behavioral level. We will analyze the way that all these different data points and the patterns behave using proprietary algorithms that we've developed, all the way from simple rule-based techniques, statistical techniques, machine learning models that try to differentiate real human activity from automated bots. Yeah, I got that. Hey, you know, it might be helpful and I think kind of intriguing to to look back a little bit at the company's history, it was it was originally called White Ops. What was the what was the problem that the founders were trying to solve, and what was their solution? You know, the co-founders started this company ten years ago in the back of a, a dusty science fiction bookshop in Brooklyn, New York. And in those early days, the one founder was wearing a t-shirt that would say robot and the other one a t-shirt with the label human and and that that was a big part of our identity wearing human represented who we were as a group of people at the end end of the day what we saw was that there was a big challenge and the big challenge was that over 
I would say the past decade or so, we've seen a big evolution in the sophistication of bot operators. It used to be in the past that bots were living in data centers. They didn't have any type of human-like identifier or the way that they were behaving was, was far away from real humans. And most of the, of the operators of, of these bots were doing it to make a little bit of extra money. And what, we, right. what we've seen over the years is that now the majority of the bot activity is exiting from real user devices that have been infected. They have real user identifiers and they, they behave a lot like how real humans are behaving. They're moving their mouses, they're, they have the characteristics of a, of a real human. And, and it's not anymore about making a little bit of extra money. That is fascinating. It's like an ecosystem of organized crime. It's like the mob, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the company started off focusing on advertising integrity, ad bots, but is, has added capabilities, marketing, applications, you know, a whole bunch of enterprise needs. If you could, just talk a little bit about how the newer elements of the company's business and technology. So we recently merged with a company called Perimeter X that happened in 2022. And a lot of the enterprise capabilities that we've added in our product suite is coming from the technology that Perimeter X had developed. So Human has been looking into enterprise use cases besides advertising for the past couple of years, and we really got into this space after the merge of Human with Perimeter X. Perimeter X is a, a company that specialized in, in these enterprise use cases, and the flagship product that Perimeter X has developed is called Bot Defender. And more recently, we've launched a few other products, including Account Defender and Code Defender. And these are all products that are targeting a number of enterprise use cases, including account takeover, account takeovers, credential staffing attacks, scraping and carding attacks that in most cases involve automated bot activity. But in some cases, the, the takeover is of an account is happening from a, a bad human, not the right human accessing someone's account. Uh, and that's the problem we're trying to solve with uh, Account Defender. Yeah, yeah. What's scraping? That's a very good question. Scraping is an automated attempt to collect data by loading web pages at a high volume. So, for example, I want to know what are the latest prices for a specific airline for different routes. And what, what I can do is I can instruct a bot to go visit a, a website that is for, you know, like a, a search engine for flights. And I can collect all the information, all the data and build intelligence based on the, the data harvesting that I've, uh, I've okay. done. Right. right. Now we talked about the name of the company, a little bit about human why it's called human, why, how it used to be called white ops. 
Demetrius, I want to talk about you for a little bit. Uh, what's your role in the company? I've been with Human for almost five years now. My role is I run the research team, and research can be a little bit vague of a term, but in our world, it includes the team that builds the the underlying detection engine that we use across all of our products. So what you will find within my team is a combination of data scientists, data researchers, security researchers, threat researchers that build all the intelligence and the technology that we use to protect our customers across all of our products and use cases. In your role as head of research, what are the biggest challenges that you face and how are you overcoming them? We previously talked a li- little bit about the, the sophistication of our adversaries. And for me, this is one of the biggest challenges we are facing. It's become increasingly hard to differentiate humans versus bots that are trying to bypass our technology. So they're very aware of your technology and how it works, and they're constantly trying to circumvent it. So the battle is never won. Yeah. Well, that's what we are trying to to do at the end of the day. And I, I would argue that in many cases, we are quite successful. And the the principles that we use to win this fight are what we like to often refer to as the modern defense strategy. And that is a combination of the internet visibility that we have. A human is observing more than 20 trillion digital interactions every week. My God. We have a, a pretty massive network effect where we can connect the dots of different fraud schemes that we are seeing across of all our customers and offer, offer protection across all of our customer base. And, and the third thing is disruptions, because if we don't change the, the risk profile of these attacks, it's always going to be a very high return on, on investment for our adversaries to, to enter the cybercrime. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Now, at Human, you have a team called Satori, which is a group with all sorts of kind of multidisciplinary, but also very sophisticated technical skills. And they go after the bot makers. How does the team work and how do the technologies work? Satori is a combination of different people within human. And a lot of it is within my group, within my team, but a big part of it is also from a, a team that we call threat intelligence within human. So it's a combination of research and threat intelligence. And you will, what you'll find within this team is extremely capable people when it comes to reverse engineering, threat intelligence, threat researchers, but also combining that with what we are seeing within our data from a data research, data science perspective. And that team, that group is tasked with shining a light into the dark corners of the internet to find cyber criminals, understand their their tactics, their techniques, their procedures in order to help us improve our products, 
intelligence is a, is a critical part when it comes to fighting this fight. But also Satori is helping us increase awareness in the industry, protect the industry more broadly, and change the risk profile of some of these cyber crimes. Because like, like I mentioned earlier, these days it's quite easy for someone to run one of these operations. The tools are available, all the tools are out there, and very small percentage of these attacks is being prosecuted. Well, let's talk some more about that. You talked about the kind of the risk profile for the ecosystem of organized crime organizations that are kind of working together to try to make money fraudulently off of all this this web activity. What kind of what risks do they face and what kind of prosecution? I mean, you said there's not much prosecution, but what kind of prosecutions are there? And maybe tell us about one or two examples of of where human was involved in the prosecution and, and the role you played there, without giving away secrets, of course. Right. Of course. It's only a very small percentage of these attacks that are eventually being prosecuted. And that makes, especially advertising fraud, one of the most attractive types of abuse on the internet. Because I think it's like a small digit percentage of all the attacks that have been prosecuted in this space. And at the same time, the the revenue that an attacker can generate is, is quite large. The total advertising spend in 2022 was only in the US above $400 billion, if I'm not mistaken. Imagine only taking a, a, a slice, a small percentage oh, yeah. of that spend using fraudulent techniques. It's, it's already going to be in the millions. Right. So that together with a lack of prosecution make it extremely attractive to bad actors. I could briefly talk about a couple of operations that we, we recently, in the, in the past few years, we took down. Uh, EVE with a 3 and a V and an E is a good example of a botnet that was generating advertising fraud. It's, it's in fact, one of the, the largest botnets that, botnets that we've ever seen creating fake advertising traffic. At its peak, it was controlling more than 1 million devices, mostly residential devices in North America and Europe. So this is basically, they take over people's computers that are sitting at their desks and, and turned on and connected to the internet. And it's just making impressions which are turned into money by the ad business. Exactly. And if you, yeah. we should always, when we think about these threat models, we should be thinking of the, the money flow. How is someone able to make money? And, and here, what's, what's always happening in advertising is that there is a flow of money from the advertiser, uh, the, the one that wants to, to show ads on websites. And the, the websites are the publishers. And right. the actors in this threat model are pretending to be legitimate publishers that benefit from the advertising spend. So at the end of the day, the, the advertiser is the one who's being hurt the most. 
Go back and tell us about that prosecution that Human was involved in. Eve was, as I mentioned, one of the the largest botnets that we've we've seen. Was controlling more than one million devices from residential users. Like it could be a device that you and I, hopefully not us, were using at home. And Eve was able to generate billions of fraudulent advertising bid requests. And they were doing that by completely impersonating the websites that these ads were were shown. So pretty much everything was fake. There was no real human. There was no real website. But still, advertisers were buying ads in this like virtual world that Eve had managed to to create. And that's because it's all automated and all real time. So it's not like it's not like a human is evaluating this as a as an ad opportunity. This is part of a big package, right? That is right. You know, a group was formed with a almost like a dozen of companies across the industry. Uh, Google was a big part of of that effort that eventually led to a multinational takedown operation led by the FBI. The botnet was practically turned off. Within a few hours, a number of people were prosecuted, extradited from around the world. And that was, you know, one of the first times that an operation of that scale was being prosecuted in the in the world of advertising fraud. Did the people go to prison? They did. Yes. There are people, nice. as we speak, behind bars that were running this operation. That must be very satisfying for you and your colleagues. I, I don't know if I would call it satisfying, but at the, the reality is that we can only change the economics of cybercrime if we change the risk profile of these attacks. Right. Gotcha. Well, the other people involved in this kind of crime are paying attention. So this gets their attention and it may deter some of them. And that, that's hopefully one of the results. That's right. I want to switch gears here and talk about the relationship between human and Snowflake. Because I know the two companies go way back, right? Back to, you know, kind of the beginning days of Snowflake and of human. So tell us how and why the companies hooked up and what they've done together. I believe that Human is customer number two for Snowflake. And that, I think, happened a few hours from being customer one next to Adobe. Right. So right. we've been with Snowflake from since the, the very beginning. I remember our CEO will often show us the, the, the email, the, the sales email that he received in his mailbox back in 2014, where that very new and small company, Snowflake, was promising that you can store unstructured data and scale it from a storage and compute perspective as much as you want, and then query the unstructured data. The, the value proposition back then was unreal. And, you know, we embarked on a journey with Snowflake that has been, I think, extremely rewarding for for both sides. And I think our partnership is only increasing and we are finding opportunities to work in more areas together. Yeah, 
So originally, did human have just operate its own cloud? But then after hooking up with Snowflake, you started building your application on top of Snowflake? Is that how it works? I'm pretty sure we were using another legacy database before migrating oh, to Snowflake, which I'm sure was painful to do, especially in, in, in our problem space. You, you want two things. You want to have the agility to try out new techniques, new signals, experiment with whatever a researcher might want to experiment with. It's all about finding new techniques, new ways of identifying good activity versus bad activity. And, and Snowflake enabled that for us. And at the same time, you want to enable the scalability aspect of it. We've been, like I mentioned earlier, processing more than 20 trillion interaction, digital interactions every week. And I don't think we would have ever scaled this way without the support of a data warehouse like Snowflake. What about now? What are some of the newest technologies or initiatives that the two companies are undertaking together? We are working together for the first time to migrate in a multi-cloud environment. You know, we, most of our infrastructure historically has been within AWS and GCP is going to be a, a place where we will experiment with Snowflake for the first time. That's one, one area where we are investing quite a lot. We've been doing a lot of work with Snowflake when it comes to our machine learning models and how we operationalize our machine learning strategy without exiting Snowflake in a way. Like we are, we are trying to do everything within Snowflake from our model training all the way to inference. And Snowflake has been a great partner when it comes to that. And a third area where we've been investing quite a lot is in the Snowflake marketplace, where we are, yeah, we're using the marketplace a lot to share data with our customers. You know, we've talked a little bit about AI. You've mentioned machine learning, those kinds of models. And in the past couple of months, there's just been an explosion in advances in AI, some of them coming from OpenAI out in California. But foundation models, large language models are utterly changing the computing landscape. For, for many, many years, computers couldn't pass the Turing test. That's the test that where you see, can the computer confuse people enough that they can't tell between the computer and the person? Well, this is the business you're in, 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 de in, in detection of, of that kind of thing. So I'm just wondering, when you look into the future, the next year or so, or, or even further beyond, do you see some things happening in AI that are both a challenge for your company and for kind of the computing world, but also maybe an opportunity? This is a, a great question, and it's really one of the things that keeps me up at night. Large right. language models, and I would say more, more broadly, generative AI models have become right. a lot more, a lot better at mimicking humans. I, I, I think we are far away from true intelligence but we are, we've definitely reached a model that content from text, images, even audio generated by these large models 
is very hard to distinguish from something that a real human would, would create. And like you said, that is at the core of what we're doing. And what I expect to happen over the next few years is we'll see a huge increase in how much such content becomes available on the internet. Because it's, it's just right. very cheap to create content using these models. We, yeah. We've only started scratching the surface, but we need to also invest a lot of time thinking about how we regulate and how we build such models in a way that we can also detect that you know, content that was generated was generated by, by such models. Right, right. I gotcha. It's like, so we've had this, this huge amount of disinformation. Now it's being automated with no cost. You don't even, you don't, you don't even need malicious humans telling lies. You can have machines tell it, making up lies and spreading them in an automated fashion. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, you talked about kind of being aware of this regulations. Is there a role for your company and your kind of technology in this? This is exactly what we've been, is our daily routine, building capabilities, detection capabilities that can detect the ever-evolving sophistication of our adversaries. Generative AI models are a tool that we expect our adversaries will soon start, start using, but we can also use it on the other side from a from a detection perspective and and right. that's a lot of what we started looking into that's really fascinating you know, i think about avatars in the metaverse and now i'm thinking about the bots are, are representing humans and of course on your side you'll be automating your kind of detection activities even more using generative generative ai so it's kind of like a battle being done in the metaverse you know it's kind yeah. of a cool thought, but also kind of kind of scary as well. It is scary. It is scary, and I, you know, I always besides the the content that someone is generating, I always go back into the fundamentals, and the fundamentals of whatever we do online start with our identity, who we are, right. who generated the content, and I think that will become increasingly important as we are embarking in this journey of automated content that we won't be able to distinguish from real human authored content. And how do we you know, build trust in, in such a world? There are academic papers that propose ideas such as creating watermarks for content that is right. generated from, from such models. Right. That could be one approach. How can we sign the content that is created from such models in the way that it can be distinguished? And on the flip side, how can we sign content that is created by real humans so that other humans can trust, trust it, it. Yeah. put, a, put, put yeah. a different level of trust? Well, I, you know, I'm rooting for you, obviously. I, I think this is, you know, this is quite a moment in human history. And I think technology, it kind of technology creates the moment, but also technology is a core to solving it. But but with human oversight and human wisdom guiding how it's it's resolved. So 
I think this will be a very interesting thing to watch over the next few years. You know, we're coming to the end of the podcast. We typically like to end on some kind of intriguing note. You talked before a little bit about that takedown and the prosecution that came out of it. I think it'd be great to end kind of back on that same topic. Tell us about a recent takedown. I, I think you, were, you wanted to talk about vast flux, which is an advertising fraud operation. Kind of give us, you know, what was that? What were they doing? And, and how did you get them? Sure. It's, it's sometimes quite fascinating to, to see the, the level of creativity of our adversaries. And in this particular operation, what we observed was an advertising ad fraud operation that was generated what we would call misrepresented ads. And what they were pretty much doing is they were stacking multiple ads on top of each other. And the, the way they were doing it, they, they didn't have to rely on a botnet. All they did was they, they run an advertising campaign themselves. And we, we, these types of advertising campaigns, we call malvertising. So within the advertising... Malvertising. Malvertising. Yeah. And within that creative that would otherwise show the brand or whatever the advertiser would like to advertise, they are ingesting malicious code. And that code would generate other ads, stack them up, and this particular scheme reached the point that it was generating 12 billion fraudulent ad opportunities. That malicious code ran on more than 11 million devices and more than 1,700 apps were being spoofed using the, the vast flux operation. There were instances where they were stacking up up to 25 ads on top of each other. Yeah, if there's one impression, it would appear as if there were 25. So they're multiplying the impact They're multiplying the impact. And in in this particular case, they were buying display ads. What I mean by that is like the simple banner that we usually see, and they would they would replace it with video advertising. So they would they would the arbitrage, the the additional revenue they were generating was actually even more than 25 times. And that's another good example of a takedown. We went all the way into attributing the attack to a specific group, and we were able to to work with the industry and turn off this operation, take down the right. uh, the attackers. Yeah. Hey, is one of the problems with with prosecution that the operations aren't operating in the United States? That's often a challenge, and yeah. we've seen it with Eve and Methbot in the past. There are limits into where the U.S. can extradite. And yeah, I, I would dot- totally agree that the, this is adding additional complexity to the prosecution problem. So you can counteract them technologically, but you can't go after them necessarily with the legal, the force of, of law enforcement, which is a shame. This has been a, a really interesting, really intriguing conversation from beginning to end, because just learning about how these these outlaw organizations operate how they co- they how they collaborate with each other they have they kind of divide up you know what the kind the kind of work they do uh, the kind of exploits they run 
it's it's fascinating and then how you guys take them on and bring either bring them down or or at least uh counteract them is is fascinating as well i've learned new terms malvertising i can't believe i didn't know that one that's a, that's a, that's a great term so i think this has been really educational for me and i think for a lot of our podcast listeners and just you know you know realizing that while human is protecting its clients from these kinds of exploits, there are a lot of people out there who are being victimized by this uh, and don't have any protection or don't have adequate protection. So I, I, I almost feel like doing an advertisement for you guys. <laughs> I think maybe people ought to be more aware of the threats that are out there and, 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 you know, and know that you can do something about it and, and in fact, do something about it. So, Demetrius, thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you, Steve, for the invitation. It was a great pleasure to, to be here tonight with you. How you approach data will define what's possible for your organization. Data engineers, data scientists, application developers, and a host of other data professionals who depend on the Snowflake Data Cloud continue to thrive thanks to a decade of technology breakthroughs. But that journey is only the beginning. Catch up on all the latest announcements from Snowflake Summit, including advancements with generative AI and LLMs, flexible programmability, application development, and much more. Watch now at snowflake.com slash summit slash livestream.